Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome back to another edition of Locked on Seminoles. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Drake here. And just a few short moments, I'm going to send you off to myself and Miss Caroline Fenton. Caroline is the host of the Locked on LSU podcast. And typically, folks, as you know, for our Know Your Foe segment for each game coming up, we have the Mar Show. But Caroline invited me on Locked on LSU earlier this week, and we discussed all things FSU-LSU matchup how she feels Jane Daniels will be QB1 heading into Sunday, and also how he has a command of the offense. The elite defensive line that we've heard so much about on Twitter that, quite frankly, there is a lot of potential there, but we discuss a little bit more how we feel that this is going to be a test for the trenches overall. And lastly, what does FSU need to do to in order to lead New Orleans with the W heading into the bye week? and be a significant moment. Oh, that was a mouthful. A significant moment for Mike Norvell's tenure here at Florida State. But folks, thanks thanks to each and every single one of you for making Locked On Seminoles your first listen each and every single day and all for all love and support. But with that being said, and without further ado, let's go on with the show. You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Well, thank you for making Locked on LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. We are joined now by the host of Locked On Knowles. Drake, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you for coming on the pod. Uh, thanks for having me. We had you on about a few months ago to do a little bit of a preview, and that's back when I think you actually named Miles Brennan as, as the potential starter for the season. And now uh, how times have changed? No, I, from the jump, from the jump, I've said Jaden Daniels. All right, that's fair. That's fair. That's but fair. I do I do think that he was, like, at the time, was the fan favorite just because mm-hmm. he he's – the one constant in this football program from the 2019 season to now. So I thought everyone wanted Miles Brennan, but maybe you just called me out. Maybe I just made that up in my head, but I'm pretty certain I've been riding the Jaden Daniels train this entire time. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll roll the tape on that. So roll it back, we'll roll it back. <laughs> but we got a huge game on Sunday. LSU opening their season against Florida State. Florida State, their second game of the season after their game against Duquesne in Week 0. And that's exactly what I want to touch on first and foremost with you. Just overall, your initial takeaways of that game against Duquesne. Our running attack is for real. And that was Uh, something that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the first time in school school history, folks, that we had three separate rushers actually go for 100-plus yards, with it being Trayshawn Ward, Trey Benson, and Lawrence Mm -hmm. Toffili. And that's something that we kind of understood going into this year because last year, our calling card towards the end of the year was a prime rushing attack supplemented by Jordan Travis's legs and sometimes his arm. So now, this week, I would love to see basically that rushing attack kind of repeat the performance, not the same 100 yards per, per rusher, but like solid rushing attack. But then we see kind of where we've heard all offseason where Jordan Travis, Jordan Travis has improved as a passer. I would love to see that against actually your secondary uh, this game on Sunday. And I guess that's kind of my next question is Jordan Travis also was fairly efficient in the air. I mean, 207 yards was 11 to 15, had a rushing touchdown. So it seemed like Jordan Travis was also his most effective on the ground as well. Going into this season, was that how you expected Florida State's offense to be its most efficient was on the ground? Uh, primarily, yes, Prim- because our offensive line isn't particularly known for being good the past four years. If you basically have been covering FSU or like talking about FSU since probably 2017, you've known our 
our offensive line has been pretty short of putrid. But it has improved each and every single year with Alex Atkins, who has now been promoted from offensive line coach to the offensive coordinator. And we've always had tall running backs with uh, Jay Sean Corbin, K-Makers before him. So with these three, we have, I, in my personal opinion, we have the probably the number two running back room probably in the conference, maybe even number one pushing for Clemson, and maybe also going rivaling uh, Sean Tucker. But to me, uh, this team was basically is going to need to be able to supplement that because if we if y'all know the run the run is coming, it's going to be a really easy scheme against that. So we need Jordan Travis heading into this year to take the next step as a passer. And seeing that this past weekend, he was very efficient, like you said, 11-15, 207 yards. And now I'm having the weapons around him, like Michael Pittman and Johnny Wilson, two transfer from the Pac-12. To me, that's going to basically be our bread and butter for the year. And too, I mean, you mentioned some of the receivers. I mean, 207 yards, 11 to 15, no passing touchdowns, but a rushing touchdown. I mean, those aren't the sexiest stats in the whole entire world, but you had six different wide receivers tally up at least one reception. So that, to me, says, I mean, Jordan Travis is comfortable with plenty of these receivers. It's not just a one-man show. In the in the running game, I mean, obviously, three running backs run for 100-plus yards, but it's also not just a one-man show in the passing game either. And I think I looked at that to be a pretty good strength of Florida State, that it's not just one guy – you know, carrying the rock. It's not just one guy that Jordan Travis is targeting. You got all these guys that are able to get it done. It's so nice to actually have someone else besides someone from FSU, like kind of covering that mainly because our wide receiver core last year, David Hale had us as the dead last wide receiver core in the entire conference. Cause our wide receivers last year were, I want to say, I think bottom five in the country when it came to basically man, uh, man to man separation reception rate was also bottom 10. So seeing actually um, this past weekend with, Cantron Portier, a kid that basically has been developing the past for the past few years, you're seeing him actually excel. Seeing Johnny Wilson, who had the 51-yard touchdown grab. You see Deuce Span, the transfer from Illinois, doing the same damn thing. And it's nice that now, because Jordan has been a one-man show for the past two years, and he's needed all the help that we can get because Jordan Travis has basically been his entire team since, mm-hmm. since he actually took over the starting job. And so I don't think that Jordan Travis, as in all respect to Jordan Travis, he's not the type of quarterback that can be your entire team. No, no, I completely agree with that, actually. I, he needs the help. He really does need the help overall. He should be, and I love Jordan Travis, but in my personal opinion, he should probably be probably your second or third best, you know, most, most standing player on your offense. It needs to be someone, you need to have the bell cow back. You need to have the bell cow receiver. We don't have the bell cow for either, but we kind of have the bell, we have like the money ball approach when it comes to actually both those, both those positions overall. And kind of looking at, I mean, you mentioned the three running backs with 100 plus yards. Looking at Trey Benson, I saw this Pro Football Focus tweet that it was, he had 18 forced missed tackles against Duquesne. Kind of looking at that as almost like an, which is absolutely insane. Kind of looking at that as almost like a microcosm for this entire game. I saw that stat and I said, good. I mean, you should do that against Duquesne. I was looking at that game. They had so, so, so many missed tackles. So that stat alone, and also just the game as a whole. How much real estate, I guess, mental real estate, are you putting into this game? How much can you really take away from this game, knowing that it's an FCS opponent in Duquesne? Um, I think it's more that it can confirm some things where I did believe that we had a very solid running back core, and that kind of was confirmed by that because they basically they owned that Duquesne defensive line. That defensive for line sure. for Duquesne actually was probably one of the tops in their conference. It also did confirm some suspicions when we had looking at the depth of our secondary which you could probably talk about next segment, but overall to me, yeah. like it did, you know, like I guess not alleviate concerns, but probably be like, Oh, okay. My concerns actually are still my concerns, but my confirmations, how I would feel good about actually did go up a little bit. 
And coming up next, I want to break down some of the strengths and some of the weaknesses of Florida State's team with Drake. Appreciate him for joining the podcast. So, Drake, looking at this Florida State team, you have one game of a sample size, um, and you have a solid bit of turnover from last game. What do you think is Florida State's biggest strength, just based off of what you've seen so far? Defensive line. I think this defensive line is going to be a monster to deal with. We return Fabian Lovett, who quite honestly could have probably been a fourth or third round pick, probably entering the draft last year. He came back, you know, NIL might have been, a, you know, kind of a factor because I usually see right now with basically bigger name players, they're coming back because now they can get paid above board. But also you see Jared Verse transfer from the FCS transfer from Albany. Mm-hmm. He graded out, I think, a 90.3 overall, which even against Duquesne, even against Jacksonville State last year or in UMass, Jermaine Johnson didn't do that. And Jermaine Johnson was the first-round pick to the New York Jets this past season. So this defensive line, they're going to eat, especially against the LSU offensive line, where I know you return, I think, one starter that had, I think, 41 starts overall right guard. But mm-hmm. the rest of them are either very young, have limited starts, or you have a transfer, I think, in Miles Frazier being the FIU tackle. And that's why I think this game is going to be so interesting, because if you would have asked me that same question, I probably would have said maybe the wide receiver core, but probably the, the defensive line. This is going to be a game that's absolutely one in the trenches because the offensive, LSU's offensive line, I mean, the center's been struggling with snaps recently. And of oh, course, so Brian wait. Kelly comes out and says, <laughs> yeah, Brian Kelly came out and said, hey, I don't know, we feel good about him now. I wonder how much of that is smoke and mirrors. And I wonder how much of that is, no, 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 actually, like they feel comfortable with him, even though he hasn't played the center position before. So, I mean, Florida State's biggest strength being defensive line, what I think to be LSU's, one of LSU's biggest weaknesses, the offensive line. And I think you could say the same thing about vice versa. This is going to be a game that's one in the trenches. Yeah, I think, what did you say last time? Actually, we had you on where basically, like, we asked you, how is your defensive line? And you were like, does your quarterback have life insurance? I think is that, is that what you said? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask Jordan actually next time we were actually able to speak to him if he has the uh, Lloyd Underwriters kind of NAL deal. But yeah, your, your, our offensive line is definitely probably our weakest spot after we've seen the improvement with the wide receivers and also with linebackers as well because the offensive line, we lost two centers before the start of training camp. We lost Caden Lyles, who was transferred from Wisconsin, who was the oh. Pedregas starter, to a knee injury. Then we lose Maurice Smith, who was the starter last year, to a lower leg injury. He primarily actually is listed on the depth chart for this week. But in my personal opinion, I don't think you start him. I think you kind of let him you know, heal a little bit more because he's been kind of having a nagging injury for the past year and a half. And then you have Darius Washington, who was a third center, who also left the game early against Duquesne because of a potential lower leg injury. And we've had to have moved Dylan Gibbons from right guard to center. So, um, yeah, the interior of the uh, offensive line is uh, going into week one. Solid. Yeah. Oh, man, you have no idea how I'm through them. I'm <laughs> to the moon about this, about this right now. Oh, I mean, and also I, at this point, I would say I probably feel better about the off- the LSU offensive line than I did the last time we talked. Because my biggest concern has been okay, Will Campbell, a true freshman, coming in to play that left tackle position. I mean, he was a very, very highly touted recruit. He was one of the top tackle recruits in the country. But I thought, I don't, I mean, it, I don't care if you're a five-star. If you've never had college experience, that's going to be a rude awakening. And I it, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a little t- bit of time for him to get acclimated. But every report that I've seen in practice is anytime he goes up one-on-one, either against Ali Gay or P.G. Ojolari, who are pegged to be some of the top pass rushers in the country, He's beaten them on every single drill. So that makes me feel better about the LSU offensive line. But still, I mean, there are so many aspects of this offensive line that there are guys that can can play that position, that have been the best ones to be plugged into it. I just don't know how much they've been able to master it. 
I can kind of feel that. I guess we're basically we've been cross-training a lot of our offensive line pieces, and I'm pretty sure actually a majority of our offensive line, except for probably the left tackle spot, are all transfers. So the communication is also going to be kind of an issue with that, especially when we see a Mason Smith in front of you, mm-hmm. a Bido Jolari, uh, uh, was it Jaqueline Roy? Is I'm pronouncing correctly? Yeah. You know, Makai mm-hmm. Wingo, the Missouri transfer, who I think actually that kid actually is going to be a stud, especially at his young age. I don't age. think we're talking about about him enough. Yeah, no, he he kind of scares me. I'm not even gonna lie to you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, I mean, I'm excited to see what he can do because, I mean, that Missouri defense last year was, ab- like, awful. Like, one of the worst defenses in all of college football. So I'm excited to see him kind of get into this this defensive scheme and see what he can do. And also being groomed by, you know, a Mason Smith, who isn't a household name yet, but I think he will be, and an Ali Gay and a, and a BJ Ojolari. But as to what you think Florida State's biggest strength is, what do you think is the team's biggest weakness? If you had asked me this before week zero, I probably would have said the linebacking core because the linebacking core probably has left a lot to be desired overall since basically I want to say Terrence Smith left and also with Matthew Thomas because basically we have brought in Tatum Bethune, who is a UCF transfer, who last year with UCF had 110 tackles and 10 and a half tackles for loss. And we kind of saw his speed on display actually, especially game against Duquesne. So I'm going from silent silent. I'm like, we haven't had a linebacker actually know where to go and know where to be and what the awareness he's had since Telvin Smith. And Telvin Smith played for a decent bit of time with Jacksonville Jaguars. So to me, overall, probably the weakest group of this team is not the offensive line. It's the tight ends. Uh, the tight ends are kind of the group where basically you just stick them out there and kind of see basically as an extra body at this point, primarily because of the tight end room. Cam McDonald is kind of coming back from a lower leg injury. I think he was in a boot for, for the majority of fall camp. And he's serviceable, has decent hands. He, I think he had two drops against Duquesne, but he definitely is someone that you wait and see with him. But past Cam McDonald, you have two former walk-ons who now have scholarships. You have two true. You have one true freshman, and then you also have a scholarship player who is actually been playing pretty well. But the problem is he can't catch, and being a tight end, you need to be able to catch. So to me, the weakest, you know, uh, probably group of the entire team is definitely the tight end room. And if you can't catch, you got to be able to block. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cam. I mean, Cam can block, and so can Preston uh-huh. Daniel. But again, like, but you better be a pretty long. damn good blocker if you can't catch the ball. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's, you can't be, you can't be Algy Crumpler anymore. You can't be uh, what, what Tony Fasano for the Dolphins anymore. You need to be able to do kind of both. And with this, and also, you can't be really relying on walk-ons when it comes to basically, basically having probably a majority of your snaps at the spot too. So, and you mentioned one of your tight ends going down with injury, and Florida State's kind of been going through it. With some injuries, wide receiver Johnny Wilson out, Maurice Smith, like you mentioned, offensive lineman out for the season. Uh, Amari Gaynor is another one that I saw potentially out for the LSU game. And also Stephen Dix is out for the season as well. Both of those, Amari um, Gaynor and Stephen Dix are linebackers. So what is this linebacking core going to look like without two guys that have been, I mean, staples in this linebacking core, at least from my perspective? First off, thank you for reminding me of how basically the injury book has a bit in the ass for the beginning of the year. But overall... Yeah. Yeah. We've been there. Yeah, we, we yeah, have been there. Yeah, you've been there. But uh, yeah, starting I mean, quarterback like, broke his arm fishing uh, like a week before the season. So I leave. Oh no, we, that 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 really sucks. That's kind. Of, I kind yeah. of last year. Oh, last how year. last year? I was like, how do you do that? But no, with the linebacking core overall, I mean, Stephen Dix is going to be a loss, but Stephen Dix primarily was going to be a rotational piece and kind of more contribute towards special teams. Amari Gaynor, he did have the. He, I think his foot was in a boot. Actually, saw him on crutches at the game, and I'm like, ooh, that's. That's not great, but he was going to be another one of those. Like he wasn't going to be a starter, but he's going to probably be your probably in more of your nickel packages because he's actually more serviceable as a pass rusher because his coverage grades aren't particularly that great. But we have Tatum Bethune, who was the UCF transfer, as I mentioned before, 
who actually you kind of saw where his awareness is elite. He knows exactly where to be, and that's something that because I know you all have a stellar tight end yourself. And then we have Cam Deloach, who kind of was the breakout star of the kind of the middle of the group there. And then DJ Lundy. So we have three solid linebackers actually be able to kind of man the middle of the field. But also, we're only going to be needing using two because we're going to be sticking, sticking a lot more to a 4-2-5 set or maybe even bring in 6-DB and actually only have one linebacker out there. I mean, you say mention our tight ends. I do think that LSU in the next two, three, four, five years are going to have a badass tight end core because of Brian Kelly. I mean, he's, you know, the king of tight ends. I mean, Notre Dame's tight end you for a reason. But this year, I don't see it being, you know, a, a super robust tight end group. I mean, I look at Mason Taylor, who's a young guy who has gotten a lot of love in camp. But besides that, you got Cole Taylor, Jack Mash- Mashburn, mm-hmm. and then Nick Stores, who is a retired baseball player who was medically retired for the last year. And then now he's healed and not really sure exactly what's going on with Nick, Nick Stores. So, I mean, you're really looking at three serviceable tight ends, and one of those guys is a true freshman. So while I do think LSU's tight end core will be good in the future, bitch, because that's what, you know, that's what Brian Kelly does, I don't know how scary this tight end group is going to be this year. So what you're saying is LSU's worst position group that we should be looking at as a tight end group, is you're telling me right now. I don't know if it's the worst position group. I would say I would say probably the offensive line. And I say worst, I would say it's the position groups that I have the most questions about, that I, that I feel least confident about just because I mean this the tight end group you got guys there you got talent there but I don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of you know short yardage situations passing the ball to the tight end I think it's going to be taking advantage of this wide receiver core okay I mean that's fair I mean why wouldn't you I mean you have Keishon Boutte who uh, basically I think last time you were you were on with us where I said he's a top 10 pick and then you have I think Malik Neighbors is actually officially back now right Malik Neighbors is back well he was out in practice and then Brian Kelly spoke to the media said it just sprained his ankle he should be fine he should be back out there um and then Jack Bash is another one Dre Jenkins is another one so I expect the the wide receiver group to be out there and healthy. Jack Besh is another one who's missed a good bit of camp with shin splints, but he was back out there in, in practice. But I mean, I feel for him. <laughs> shin splints suck. Yeah, I'm but I say think they not. all should be 100. percent Yeah, I played baseball. Those are those are the, those are the worst. But do you? So this is going to be actually probably me asking you a question when it comes to your okay. wide receivers, because with a wide receiver, you're only as good as your quarterback giving you the ball. And yeah. with Jane Daniels, we kind of saw how basically his first year over at Arizona State, he performed well. But he also had, you know, Benjamin and Brandon Ayuk. And then two years after that, he kind of sort of declined. And then now you see him at LSU. Like, do you trust Jane Daniels, even though I know you brought in Mike Denbrock? So that's going to mm-hmm. be very, very helpful how he's able to develop uh, Desmond Ritter. Do you actually think Jane Daniels is actually going to be the starting quarterback for the full entire year? Do you actually do you have faith in him actually kind of leading you to a winning season this year? Uh, Well, is he going to be the starter this entire year? Brian Kelly has made it pretty well known that they're going to name a starter for Florida State. But that other quarterback, he calls it quarterback 1A and quarterback 1B, so it's not starter mm-hmm. and backup, that they're going to rotate the quarterbacks kind of in and out. And I, he said he didn't want to use a two-quarterback system, but what he said about the quarterback position and how he wants to use them kind of makes me think that it is going to be very close to a two-quarterback system because he said, hey, we're going to have one play card. It's not going to be a Jaden play card. It's not going to be a Garrett play card. It's just going to be these are our plays, and we're going to put in whichever quarterback is able to best execute it. Um, Jaden Daniels took a very obvious step back in 2020 and 2021 because, one, Arizona State was a was a freaking dumpster fire, and it continues to be. And I think, two, just not having those pass catchers and not having a running game in Eno Benjamin, 
I think is really the difference there. But he's got a run game at LSU. He's got really solid wide receivers. And he's in an offensive system that we've seen has worked. I mean, with Denbrock and Brian Kelly together at Notre Dame, and then Mike Denbrock, obviously, at Cincinnati, that offensive system, it works. So do I think that Jaden Daniels can lead LSU to a winning season? I hope so. I hope so. But they've got at least, you know, they're fully prepared and ready to put in Garrett Nussmeyer because he's got a very strong arm. Uh, accuracy is a little bit of an issue, but they both got strong arms. They both are pretty mobile. Of course, Jaden is more mobile of a quarterback than Garrett, but they have similar enough skill sets that they can plug and play wherever need be. Yeah, I feel about that. I think Nussmeyer, I think kind of, we do, you discussed kind of how he kind of is the, is the, uh, the sleeping dog kind of so you gotta keep, keep your eye on because he does have the yeah. talent for that. And then you discussed the running backs where I saw that uh, John Emery Jr. He actually will be suspended for these first two games. Yep. So then that kind of that led you to believe that I think it was Armani Goodwin and also I think it's uh, Noah Kane. They're going to be Noah the uh, going to be the running backs basically leading them out. It's not like do you, like Noah Kane being a Penn State transfer. How was he? I guess how was he acclimated or shown out to the media basically now being at LSU? Yeah, I mean losing John Emery Jr. is a hit absolutely, and it's I have I have a you know, football problem with that just because you don't have that depth at running back that you thought you were going to have. Um, Brian Kelly's kind of made it known that he wants to run kind of running back by committee. And John Emery was going to be a really big part of that. Um, so that's my football problem with it. I also have kind of just a, a problem with the principle of it that he's been academically eligible for, you know, since November. And he's still kind of serving his his punishment from the NCAA. So I don't like that end of it, but I'll digress on that. Um, As a but, compliance officer, I feel your pain. Trust me, I get it. Yeah, yes. Like the NCAA is just doing everything that they can to remain relevant, and I'm getting tired of it. Uh, but I think Ooh. the big thing here, I mean, once NIL became a thing, I think the NCAA was like, what are we doing here? What are, why are we even around anymore? Um, but I look at Noah Kane and Armani Goodwin. Those are two backs that have been taking a majority of the first team reps in camp anyway. And Noah Kane has really emerged as the, the back that has looked the best so far in camp. So I think that those two kind of leading the pack will be fine. They will be fine. They will be able to get through those two games without John Emery, but it does make me a little bit nervous about the depth there. Okay. I mean, that's pretty fair. And now looking over, I guess, to the other side of the ball, we've already discussed that nausea. I mean, like your defensive line, I think is very, very good. I think also that it's an above average uh, defensive line also, but they definitely have the potential to be sort of one of the more elite units probably across the country. Mm-hmm. I, I have heard basically that your defensive backs though are kind of something that are a little bit of a concern when it comes to, you know, your outside corner depth and also you do have solid safety. So how does FSU, I guess, need to attack or who does FSU need to attack when it comes to the passing game? Actually, well, from the defensive back standpoint, I think the, the defensive back group, and like you mentioned, the corners really are, are a bit of a concern just because this cornerback group is constructed almost completely of transfers. Makai Garner, Jared Bernard Converse, Seven Banks transferring in from Ohio State, Quad Wilson. Those are all, Terrence Welch is another one. Those are all players that have transferred into LSU. So it's not just coming in and learning a new system. It's also an entire unit that's coming from different defensive systems and trying to kind of acclimate to one another. Uh, I think the, the big thing for me is these corners are going up in practice against, you know, one of the top wide receiver groups in the SEC. So that makes me feel confident because they're seeing the same caliber of talent that they're going to see against a Florida State or against, you know, a Texas A&M and Ole Miss and Alabama later on in the season. So just getting those reps against wide receivers like Kayshawn Booty or Drake Jenkins makes me more optimistic about it. Um, and I think, too, these transfers coming in, you, 
you have transfers coming in from pretty solid programs. I mean, Jared Bernard mm-hmm. Commerce is an Oklahoma State transfer. Seven Banks is an Ohio State transfer who really transferred in just because he didn't see the field because of injury. So he kept going back down, down, down on the depth chart just because he wasn't healthy enough. So now that he's in this system and he has been healthy, and I think those players with a solid background with you know have been seeing a really high caliber uh, competition where they were at their other schools, I think is also a good thing as well. I just, I, but I don't know. I I don't know how the system is going to work. And really my biggest hope, I'm putting all my faith and my eggs into the basket of the defensive line, because I'm thinking if the defensive line can just do their job, the corners can sit back and, and they'll be fine. So what you're telling me is that we should all be expecting a very low scoring game overall on Sunday night. And also basically to bet the under in this, is that what you're telling me? I don't want to say that because those games aren't fun to watch, but it's kind of sounding like it probably will be the case. Yeah, I'm about to say it sounds like whoever has the ball last, or maybe kind of like who, like the race of thirty points. If whoever runs the ball most efficiently, yeah, whoever is able to stop the defensive line. I mean, it's I honestly, it really comes down to the offensive and defensive lines in this game. I mean, 100% agree with you. I think my last question overall is that. uh, I saw that Matt House is actually a new defensive coordinator. He comes yeah. by way of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, basically, what should we expect, I guess, I guess, from a Matt House defense overall when we actually would take the field Sunday night? Yeah, so Matt House, I mean, he was at Kentucky, and that was really the last time that he's been in a, like a college setting, in a college defensive setting. I really, honestly, don't know what to expect from a Matt House defense. And I think that's kind of how Brian Kelly wants it. And that's kind of another question that I have for you is, Brian Kelly mentions having a, a tactical advantage in the quarterback position, which is true. We can get into that as well. But another mm-hmm. area where I see that potentially being an advantage for LSU is Matt House has not been part of a college defense. I don't even remember the last time, but he's been with Kansas City. He's been in the NFL for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and LSU hasn't played a game. I don't think anyone, at least outside of the walls of the LSU facility, really know what to expect from this Matt House defense. And also, you know, the quarterback side of things, that quote-unquote tactical advantage that Brian Kelly was talking about, the Florida State hasn't seen anything that LSU can do. And Florida State has the advantage of having already played a game and getting those first game jitters out and kind of getting their legs underneath them. I guess in your opinion, which do you think is more of an advantage, having already played a game or having all your secrets kind of hidden behind lock and key? So I think in a normal situation, I think I think playing the game the first time is probably uh, better. Be primarily because you do get those pregame jitters out, all the transfers like, okay, this is real. You have the FCS kids like coming up. Like we had, I think a few that came from like you know, group of five FCS programs that come up. Like okay, this is the real deal. This is basically me. I'm playing in Doe Campbell sampling an ACC game, or sorry, I'm playing in in an ACC uh, stadium. When it comes to Brian Kelly though, Brian Kelly has already faced Mike Norvell twice. He also yeah. has already faced Adam Fuller twice. And also, Mike Denbrook has also faced Adam Fuller twice. So they already have the fami- the, uh, the familiarity for that. So to me, if I'm, Brian, if, we're, if I'm Brian Kelly and Mike Denbrook, they already know what an offense by Mike Norvell, how it looks. They also know how a defense by Adam Fuller uh, runs. And they've bested them both times. So to me, the lock and key type of thing, when you have some new toys with Jane Daniels, Noah Kane, Kayshawn Butte, I would honestly prefer that. But I think from an FSU standpoint, we definitely, definitely needed the tune-up game because we needed to see what we have with the offensive line overall because this defensive line, offensive line, like you were saying before, and kind of theme of the episode, 
is going to dictate how the game goes overall for the entire game. Yeah, and I, I honestly don't know how to answer that question of which one is more of an advantage because I think there are both advantages in and of itself. I honestly would love if LSU had the opportunity to play, you know, a little bit of a cupcake game to be to, just to understand where they're at. Of course, you know, you've got a lot of transfer players who have college experience. They just don't have that experience playing together as a unit. So, but also I do see the tactical advantage and this system with these players, with this coach under these coordinators have never played a game together. So it's, and this is the one time against Florida state that all of your secrets will remain secret. So I, I kind of see both sides of it and I really don't know which one is more of an advantage, but to your point, it just depends on where your team is at. If you're Alabama, you don't need to play a out Southeast West technical state university. You know, you ever they're everywhere. It's all yeah. the directions. Um, because you know what you have. You can open up your season against a, you know, a, a power five program. No, I completely agree with that. And also I think that's why FSU's I think game plan against Duquesne. I think what well, you said that we threw the ball twenty one times total. We yeah. ran the ball damn near close to fifty times. We kept it extremely vanilla, but we did get I guess showcase where we led Jamie uh, Jamie Robinson, who probably is one of our best players on defense and and in my personal opinion, the best player on the entire team, how he lined up at safety. Free safety, buck, linebacker, corner, slot corner. So we he's the chess piece of our defense. What can he so, do? Oh, he can do whatever the hell he wants. That man, that dude's the man. But to me, that kind of lets have kind of puts on paper where Mike Denbrock has like, okay, now I have to see what to do with this. So that kind of probably is a better thing for us overall. But quite honestly, it's more for getting the pregame jitters out as having the first game. And last thing that I want to ask you is, you know, I know for LSU. In this fan base, this program, we look at this game as being such a marquee game as being so important because this is the first glimpse that we'll look at, we'll, we'll get a look at with the Brian Kelly era. This is the first glimpse that we look at of what this team is going to look like, both offensively and defensively. This is the start of an entirely new era of LSU football. And it's not just starting off the era with a win. It's starting off the era with this very statement win against a, a Power 5 program, a very good program in Florida State, that it's just a, a win against Florida State would represent so much. And it would symbolize, all right, it's the Brian Kelly era. You know, the past two 500, sub-500 seasons are behind us. And it's now, okay, what's the road to a national championship? That's really what this game symbolizes for a lot of LSU fans. But I know that Florida State is in such a different situation with their coach because Brian Kelly's writing his legacy at LSU and Mike Norvell, in my opinion, is coaching for his job this season. So to Florida State fans, what does this game represent? Um, I think the best way to put it actually was just talking to uh, my friend Max about this, where this is probably the most important game for Mike Norvell's tenure here because depending on how it ends, to me, if you win this game, and you go into a bye, then you have a Louisville, Boston College, Wake Forest slate that you can easily start off maybe four and one or even five and out. But conversely, if you lose to a brand new staff, where I understand that LSU is more talented than you on, on both sides of the ball, but if you lose to a brand new staff and Brian Kelly, and if you lose in kind of a like one of those horrible fashions, then you kind of know where you have with Mike Norvell, where you see the improvements, the foundation is building, but also that he might just not be the guy to basically get you over the hump, bring you back to where you want to be. So to me, this is more basically, this game will show what we have with Mike Norvell. You've had all this time to prepare. As much as I would love to say for Duquesne, you prefer that game, you ran the ball 40-plus times. I don't think your game plan was that, you know, sort of, you spent too much time on that. This LSU game, 
prime time under the lights again. You had the chance last year to beat Notre Dame. You almost did, but didn't. If you're able to keep this game close or even take a win where me personally have FSU winning 31-28 this game overall, to me this is a game that will probably have his tenure basically either sewn up for a decent amount of time or, quite frankly, we might be having a different discussion overall at the end of the year where we might be looking for a new head coach. But I think this is a game where Mike Novell puts up and shuts up. Jordan Travis probably showcases himself to the world as a better passer. And to me, this is a game that Florida State should come out on top for. 31-28 is your final score prediction? 31-28 is my final score prediction. I think FSU is here to make some noise this year. And honestly, it's kind of weird to say as an FSU fan because I went there for 2011-2015. I was there for Jameis. I was there for Dalvin. Oh, the so, glory days. The glory days. I was, we were 9-1 and against Florida and Miami collectively. So to me, this, this past ah. few years have been rough. But it feels like we have something here. This is the most talented roster we've had in so, such a long time. You can't waste it. You have to go at least seven and five, maybe eight and four. And to me, LSU, listen, I'm not scared of Jane Daniels. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Don't even know if he's going to be the starter, but just for my own ego, I hope he is because I've been hammering on that for so much. And I know I said a last question, but last, but actual last one for you. You said, got to go seven and five, got to go eight and four. If Florida State doesn't, who was the head coach of Florida State next year? Is it Mike Morvell or somebody else? If they go six and six, I think it's Mike Norvell, but kind of one of those like dead man walking kind of lame duck kind of eras. Mm-hmm. If he's five and seven, give me Lane Kiffin. Give me Lane, Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. Go reach out for, or, or you know what? Go get Dion. Let's go get, let's go grab Dion. Right Coach now. Prime. I respect it. I would love to see Coach Prime in Tallahassee. No, or, or sneaky pick. I actually would love him. I want him the first time around. Your former DC, Dave Aranda. I Dave wanted Aranda. Dave Aranda so badly. And I know that whichever coaches get fired this season, Dave Aranda is going to be on the short list of coaches they interview. And I love that for Dave Aranda because I love him. But part of me is like, no, I want Dave Aranda. He's done, you know, he did such a great job at LSU, obviously, one of the top defenses in the country while he was there. And I mean, Baylor, Big He's 12 so champions. Good. He's so good. I love him. Uh, uh, I would love that for you if Dave Aranda went to, to Florida State. Hey, but Drake, appreciate you. Appreciate you so much for joining the pod. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Uh, you too, you too. And you know, hey, thanks for having me on. I was having a blast talk- talking with you about some football. And also shout out to your Cardinals and Albert Pools. Hopefully he makes it to uh, 700. So He will. He will He will get there. I believe it. And also, side note, I went to a Cardinals game a couple weeks ago. Their series against Milwaukee. He hit a home run on Friday. He hit a home run on Sunday. I went on Saturday, and he struck out. So I think it's best that I just stay away. So I oh, think yeah. let, let the machine work. Let the machine work, okay? Yeah, my bad juju doesn't have to get mixed up there. But, Drake, appreciate you. Where can the people find you? Uh, you can follow me at Tally underscore underscore Drake on YouTube. You can follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. And also follow the podcast at Knowles Anonymous. That's kind of our collective where we engage with our fans, get themes for episodes. And as always, we're fans first, people second, and content creators third. 